Hello, hello. We are going to be covering Genesis uh, 32 and 33 today. We're continuing our story of Jacob. Uh, last week, we saw him leave Haran up north and part ways with his father-in-law, uh, Laban. And now he is turned south and is dealing with his brother Esau. As you recall, uh, the last time he saw Esau, some 20 years ago, Esau vowed to kill him uh, the next time that he saw him. So Jacob is uh, in a bad place. He's just broken off ties with his in-laws up to the north. They're at peace, but they aren't friends. Uh, they literally created a pillar as a, a, a reminder, as a representation of the fact that you stay on that side, I'll stay on this side, and we will not interact again. Uh, so broken ties with his family for the past 20 years, and now he turns south, and his fears are that his brother Esau is going to kill him. So we are going to cover both 32 and 33. Um, the first chunk we're going to cover is the first 23 verses of uh, chapter 32. So join me. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. So he named the place Mahaniam. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have, re have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left will escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my own staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, too numerous to count. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you and asks, Who do you belong to and where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, 
They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts. I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. We'll stop there and dig into this. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for this time that we have to study it. Lord, I pray that you will speak through me, that I'll be an instrument approved as we study uh, the story of Jacob, his interaction with Esau, and Jacob as he is changed by you as you wrestled with him. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Okay, so at, let's get into this and, and talk about these different chunks. Okay, so um, verse 3, three through 6, um, let, let's do a little background context and just remember um, Esau is the man's man. He was a mighty hunter. He was a big guy. Uh, Jacob uh, was not. He was smooth skin. And this is the description that the Bible gives us. Jacob stole his brother's birthright, uh, swindled him uh, out of his inheritance, so to speak. And then the patriarchal blessing, he deceives his father, lies to his father, and takes that as well from Esau. Esau vows to kill him, and because of this, he goes north to Haran, where he's there for 20 years. Uh, he meets Rachel, falls in love, agrees with Laban, her father, to work seven years for her hand in marriage. Laban pulls one over on him, and the wedding night actually swaps the older sister for the younger. So Jacob ends up marrying Leah, the less attractive of the two, uh, and Jacob is livid, but um, Laban makes an agreement that you work another seven years, you can have Rachel. Um, so just after he marries Leah, he is able to marry Rachel. And from that point on, they start producing kids. Uh, and then he works for an additional six years. So it's 20 years that he's up north working in Haran for his uh, father-in-law, Laban. And in this time, he has 11 sons and one daughter. And we'll talk about her next week. Um, the 12th son is born in chapter 35. Uh, so then last week we looked at uh, Jacob's had enough and God calls him to return to Canaan and he does. And he and Laban part ways. So the point that I'm getting at and just giving that background is it's been 20 years, but um, as we read from our text, he is terrified of Esau. I mean, he's the big burly hunting guy uh, who is last, last he's seen, he stole his uh, inheritance, uh, for uh, swindled him out of it for... Um, a pot of stew, of red lentil stew, and then uh, deceived their father into him receiving the patriarchal blessing. So um, in Jacob's mind, Esau is justified in wanting to kill him. And that's the last we see of him. And so um, what he does as he's going south is the first thing that he does is he sends um, an emissary, uh, a member of his household, to go to Esau. And he says, your servant is coming home. And then he sends with him, um, well, the gifts come in a second. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Um, but it's interesting 
the verbiage that he uses. Why does he list off all of his stuff? Did you notice that? That he, he didn't list it out exactly, but he said that, that I've gained um, many camels and many uh, donkeys. I have. He's showing Esau that he has a lot of possessions. And he uses the term your servant. Clearly, Jacob is trying to um, let Esau know that he wants to come in peace, that he wants to make amends, but also that Jacob has uh, wealth and that he's not coming to uh, claim his birthright that he stole uh, from Esau to claim his inheritance if their father Isaac has actually passed. He's making it clear, I'm coming in peace and I don't need uh, any of your possession. I have my own. Verse 6 uh, is where you get a response from the messenger. The messenger says, I went and gave the message, and Esau's coming to meet you, but with him are 400 men. Now, the person doesn't say whether they're soldiers, but you can see instantly from his response, the way that he reads it, um, his next uh, element is to fear for his life, right? You can see... um, In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups. He's assuming that those 400 men that left with Esau are soldiers that are on their way to kill him and his household. So in classic Jacob fashion, he is trying to uh, make the best out of the situation and be shrewd. And, and, you know, this is actually pretty smart what he does. He divides up his camp. He divides up his, his family and his possessions, and the idea simply is, is that if Esau and those 400 men come and destroy the first group, hopefully they will then assume that they got everybody, and the second half will survive. Um, we will see that those 400 men are not there to kill Jacob. We see this again in, in uh, 7 and 8, um, as I just mentioned, sorry, um, where he divides up the group, but then something really cool. Jacob prays. He's in this low spot and he's in uh, dire need of God's assistance. And verse 11, uh, excuse me, verse 10 is a high point for Jacob. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when across this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray. From the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me. He prays to God and he realizes, I cannot do this on my own. You are the one who blessed me. You are the one who brought me uh, to where I'm at now. And he gives God credit, which is really cool. Um, Then we see a gift that Jacob sends to Esau. And he says that he sent it to pacify him. Uh, Jacob does, obviously doesn't want Esau to come and destroy his family and everything that he has. So he's doing everything he can think of to try to appease his brother. So he sends uh, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 female sheep, 20 male sheep, 30 female camels, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. This is a massive gift. In fact, uh, one of the commentaries that I read said that this was actually more than a city would give to a uh, military force. So if there was an army that was coming through, they would send a gift out in hopes that uh, they would receive it and they wouldn't sack the town. Um, 
what Jacob gave to Esau as an offering, uh, as a peace offering, is greater than that. So he makes this humongous um, offering. And the question is, why does he do it? There's two reasons. We'll talk about one in a minute, but the obvious one he even says is to appease him. He's, he wants to be at peace with his brother, and his hope is, is that if he brings a gift, um, that that'll um, smooth things over, so to speak. Then we see in verse 22 uh, through 23, um, when they approach the Jabbok River, um, it's evening, and they are setting up camp, and yet again, uh, Jacob divides up um, his possession, his uh, family, uh, his wives, his children, etc. He divides them up into two camps, and then they all cross the Jabbok River. Um, the Jabbok is now called the Wadi Zarqa, Z-E-R-Q-A, um, and it is flowing westward into the Jordan River uh, to this day. It still exists. Uh but he sends everyone to the other side, and then he stays all by himself. I believe the reason why he did this is so that if Esau really does want to kill him, and he's close enough that Esau could come in the night, that Esau will spare his entire family and just kill him. And you see this uh, also uh, when he meets Esau the next day. Uh, he goes out in front of his entire family after dividing them all up, and does the same thing where he's isolating himself. And I believe this is a selfless um, gesture that he is doing. I don't know that for a fact. This is just my uh, interpretation. Uh, but the hope is, is that the rest of his family will live um, if Jacob has to pay uh, for the crimes that he did to his brother. But it's at this moment where Jacob is at an incredible low uh, he doesn't know how to scheme his way out of this. He's done everything he can think of uh, and separating everything out and sending this massive kingly gift on to Esau. And yet he knows that there's 400 men that are coming and he he's, he's on his knees. He is uh, at the lowest point. He's got nothing else he can do, no one else to turn to. And this is exactly where God wants him to be and exactly where God meets him. So let's read the rest of chapter 32, picking it up on verse uh, 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched, and as he wrestled with the man, then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and, have, and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob place, called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose, rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Okay. Jacob wrestles with God. 
Very cool passage. So let's uh, break this down. Verse 24 uh, and 25, a man wrestles with Jacob. And yet in verse 30, Jacob acknowledges, I saw God face to face. So is this God? Is this man? Who is this? What is this? Um, I actually had the opportunity to speak uh, this past, uh, well, actually it was two Sundays ago, um, at our local church, uh, Adirondack Christian Fellowship, and I spoke about this passage uh, and the power that we have in the Bible, that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. That is a trust uh, worthy saying that you should memorize. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And the idea of that simply is, is that the Bible is the best resource for finding out what something means, right? So if you're reading a passage like we are in Genesis 32, and something is referenced somewhere else, it adds information or validity or clarifies what you are reading. For example, you don't need to turn there, but Hosea... Uh, chapter 12, Hosea chapter 12, um, in the midst of this poem, um, the author references Jacob. Uh, and he says, the Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped, grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. So from this, we learn that it was an angel that he was wrestling with, an angel in, in human form, an angel often, as we've discussed before, uh, who was representing God. And it, there, there are other verses in which um, the response after interacting with an angel is to say, I have seen God, right? So it's not... A, a theophany, but it is. It is God interacting with him, but it's through an emissary. It's through an angel. And the jobs of angels is to be messengers and emissaries for God. So this angel wrestles with Jacob. But here's an interesting question. Um, verse 25, he could not overpower him. Right, so I just established that it's an angel, and then uh, we have verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so his hip was wrenched. So what's the deal? If it's an angel, is Jacob really stronger than an angel? No, the idea here is it's a spiritual battle. We see immediately after this that the angel touches, all he does is touch Jacob's hip socket, and it's wrenched. So we know that on a physical level, the angel can easily overpower Jacob. This is a spiritual battle that is going on, that goes on throughout the night, not necessarily a physical one. Uh, one commentary that I read um, from the Holman commentary um, by Gengel and Brammer, we should not dwell on the physical dimensions of this struggle because the real key is spiritual warfare. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip the angel was physically able to overpower him. But again, the point was not a physical battle. It was a spiritual one. So what is uh, the point? Where, why does this battle happen? We see a transition happen with Jacob. Jacob transitions from being Jacob, who his name means deceiver, to the angel saying, you will now be called Israel which means struggles with God or wrestles with God. 
I love the fact that the term for Israel, God's chosen people, is wrestles with God. When you study Israel through the Old Testament, you see that this battle back and forth of this struggle with God, this wrestling with God. What it comes down to is a call from either the judges uh, or, or, or from the prophets uh, telling Israel to repent and to return to God, their father. And in some situations they do, in other situations they backslide, and it, it, the cycle just continues. But our judgment of Israel can't go too far uh, and can't be too harsh simply because we're no different. Uh, we today as Christians are the exact same way. Um, it is this struggle. It is a wrestle. Being a Christian is a wrestle with God. It's not really a wrestle with God as much as it's a wrestle with yourself. It's a battle of the spirit of following what the spirit is calling you to do in your life and the sinful nature that is so loud and overwhelming in the entire world that is siding with that side. And that is the wrestle that we face. And through this wrestling match, spiritual wrestling match, we see Jacob say, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob acknowledges it. It's at this point, I believe that Jacob knows uh, that this is a heavenly being and that he needs God's blessing. He is fearing for his life from his brother Esau, who he knows is uh, strong uh, and could easily come and kill him. And he knows the only way he's going to survive this is through a blessing from God. This is then um, verse 27, where he asks his name, deceiver. And then verse 28 uh, is when he changes his name from one who's, from uh, the deceiver to one who struggles with God or one who wrestles with God and has overcome. I love that. Uh, then one of my favorite uh, lines is Jacob asks, what is your name? And the response here, you know, one of the, the things that, that is tough is that we don't, we, we weren't there. So you can't hear tone, right? So we don't know when the angel responds, why do you ask my name? If he was angry, like, why do you ask my name? How dare you ask my name? Or if it, my interpretation is it was much more of a, you know who I represent. Why do you even bother asking you know very well who I am and who, what I represent, who I represent. The names of God uh, is a, a fascinating study. My favorite one is from uh, Exodus 3.14. It's when Moses asks uh, God. God is speaking to him in a, uh, through the burning bush, right? And God has just instructed him that you are going to be my instrument to lead Israel out of captivity uh, from the Egyptians. And Moses, uh, being a former prince of Egypt uh, in Pharaoh's household, knows that the, the Israelites will not listen to him. Uh, he believes that. So he says, well, who should I say sent me? And God's response is, I am that I am. He's told Moses, tell the Israelites that the God of their fathers, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, has sent you to them. I am that I am. Uh, just gives me goosebumps. Uh, that is the uh, tetragrammaton, uh, which is the four-letter uh, characteristic of God, Yahweh, uh, Y-H-W-H. 
uh, and it's been pronounced Yahweh, but um, Jews do not use that term because it's even too holy. That that name, uh, YHWH, um, because it's too reverent. Um, so I, that just reminds me, what is your name? It reminds me of Moses asking, what, what sh- who shall I say sent me? Uh, and then verse 30, um, we see that he named Jacob called the place uh, Peniel, um, which means face of God, is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. What we see here is a transition, right? Uh, we've talked about this before. God is working in Jacob. Uh, Jacob uh, first met God um, way back in Genesis 27, uh, and then he's slowly been transitioning, changing. Uh, God's been working on him. And and as I spoke about last week, uh, the life of a a Christ follower is um, ever so slowly allowing God to change us from the inside out. Some people have rapid, fast transitions. Uh, others, it's a long, drawn-out process. And all that it is is just uh, allowing the Spirit to take uh, more and more control in your life and letting go, letting go of the desires of the flesh uh, and surrendering to God. And we see here, God needs to change Jacob. Jacob is this selfish, uh, shrewd, deceiving guy And he is going to be Father Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And God needs to change him. And that's where he wrestles with him. And the point of this little piece before we go on to 33 is that God wrestles with and disciplines those that he loves. We today, uh, we look at any situation that's hard and we say, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I I shouldn't have to deal with this. Faith is living without scheming. Faith is saying to God in any situation that you face, how should I uh, deal with this? How should I, uh, what should I learn from this? The point I'm trying to make is not that any hardship that you face is God intentionally putting that there. The example I gave when I spoke at at church uh, two weeks ago was cancer. Cancer is horrible. And I don't believe that God, uh, I mean, God is God. God can do whatever he wants, but we live in a fallen, broken world. Trying to find meaning behind why we get sick, trying to find meaning behind why there's pain in the world, you got to go all the way back to Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 3, and the fall, and, and the fact that we are in a broken world that is full of pain, it's full of sickness, it's full of disease, and that is what we're surrounded by. God allows us to endure hardship. And some of those hardships, I do believe God intentionally puts in front of us. Others we simply face because it's, it's an element of the world that we live in. But what we need to do in every situation is simply ask ourselves, what can I learn from this? Is God wrestling with me through this? More appropriately, am I wrestling with God because I'm unwilling to change. What is God trying to teach me in this lesson? How should I take this? Discipline. Should I take it as discipline or should I just take it randomly? Should I scream and say, this isn't fair? Or should I look for the silver lining of realizing that through this, God is making me stronger? So because of this, uh, we see 
Jacob become Israel, the man God wanted him to be. Now we're going to read uh, Genesis 33. Uh, It's only 20 verses. So join me, Genesis 33. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children uh, came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what is the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? Sorry, I lost my spot. To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. Far, excuse me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need because Jacob insisted Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in your eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. After Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem and Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Eloach Israel. And that's chapter 33. Jacob meets Esau. We have the uh, fantastic uh, reunion, and it's not nearly as bad as Jacob has feared. Uh, it's the exact opposite of that. Uh, Esau runs out and gives him a hug, and they embrace. No doubt there were tears involved. Uh, Jacob's fears are um, were for naught. And so it's, it's a great moment that uh, we've been in anticipation for uh, a number of chapters as Jacob was making his way south. Um, okay, so... Um, let's just go through this. Um, verse one and two, we see the same thing. He sees Esau coming 
and uh, you know Jacob being Jacob, he just wants to play it safe, so he divides up uh, the the household, and you can see he actually divides it up based on priority. Um, he puts the female maidservants, that the, the two wives that he has, and their children from. Uh, the handmaids first, then Leah and her children, and then Rachel uh, and Joseph last. Uh, and then he goes up in the very front, as I spoke about. Um, I believe he's doing this so that whatever confrontation happens, hopefully his family will survive. Uh, and then they embrace, and they are excited to see each other. Um, and, oh, excuse me, but before he embraces, I skipped one thing. Verse 3, this is interesting. Uh, he bows down to the ground seven times. Why does he do this? Well, uh, I was sitting there and I was curious of that myself. And I went back to Genesis 27. Join me, Genesis 27, 29. And I want to read the blessing that he actually steals from his brother. So Genesis 27, uh, Picking up on verse uh, 27, 27, 27. Uh, so he went in uh, to, to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said. So again, he is pretending to be his uh, brother Esau, who is the big hairy hunter. Uh, so he puts on his uh, cloak, which no doubt smells of uh, B.O. and wilderness. And he puts uh, the, the animal skin on his arm to imitate the hairiness that he has uh, Isaac is blind, so he can't see. Um, he can only smell and and feel. So then this is the blessing that he thinks, Isaac thinks he's giving to Esau, but he's really giving it to Jacob. All the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and the peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. I believe this is the reason why uh, we see here uh, in verse 3, but we also saw at 31, 14 through 15, the gifts that he sent. I believe that what Jacob is trying to do, the bowing down, the blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob, thinking that it was Esau, specifically says that your brothers and their descendants, your brother and all of his descendants, will bow down to you, which means that Esau will bow down to Jacob. Jacob is reversing that because he believes the reason why Esau is so mad at him is because he stole that blessing that was meant for him. As I've discussed before, the patriarchal blessing, uh, it's not a guarantee, but they saw it as destiny. Whatever the father gave as that final blessing on his children, they felt uh, play, would, without question, play out in their lives. And so I believe that Jacob, in, in the bowing down, as well as the uh, massive gifts that he sends, is giving what... Jacob received that Esau was entitled to in him stealing the blessing. I believe he's trying to make amends. Does it make sense? Uh, we also learn that the 400 men, as you recall, the 400 men, it's this question, well, why wouldn't Esau just go all on his own? Why did he bring 400 men? That 400 men uh, army, uh, the, the 400 men, Jacob saw it and saw it as uh, 
soldiers come to kill him. But really, we see uh, in particular, I got to go back to 33 here. Um, verse 15, Esau says, then let me leave some men, some of my men with you. He intentionally brought all of these guys as protection as they made the last bit of the journey. That's my interpretation of it is, is that all of these men were brought uh, to celebrate his brother's return, but also as additional protection uh, against the locals just in case they wanted to um, attack him and steal um, all the camels and, and goats and sheep and everything else and all the possession that he had. Then verse 20 um, is the culmination. El Eloah Israel. Might, mighty is the God of Israel. Is the name, is what he names it. There he set up an altar and called it El Eloh Israel. Mighty is the God of Israel. He's giving credit to God uh, for the fact that Esau uh, gave him a hug and wants peace and not war. He's given him credit for all the goodness and the things that he's been blessed with, which is awesome. It's such a great way uh, to wrap up um, this last few weeks as we've been talking about Jacob, uh, so nervous and anxious about um, this reunion with his brother. This also acknowledges and shows us that the transformation of Jacob uh, from being the heel-snatching deceiver, uh, the one who before he met God uh, lied, cheated, etc. But then even after that, with the interaction with Laban, we saw um, him be a, a, a conniving, uh, selfish guy that tries to make the best of every single situation in, in whatever way he can benefit for himself. And we see this transition to him becoming Israel uh, and the father of um, the 12 tribes. In two weeks' time, we're going to be on Genesis 35, in which we're going to see God give that Abrahamic blessing um, confirmed on him, uh, going from Abraham to Isaac and now resting on him. And we certainly do see that blessing that uh, everyone will be blessed through you and will be blessed um, because of Abraham, then Isaac received that same blessing, uh, and then Jacob received that blessing. And it, it continues on to this day that you are actually blessed because of the Abrahamic covenant, and that is through Jesus Christ, is the ultimate blessing on the entire world uh, because Jesus was a Jew and descended from Abraham. So here's a question as we look at this. Of this transition, how is God working in you? Uh, in what ways is He's trying to change you? And how much are you wrestling with God in those areas? How much are you surrendering and allowing Him to change you versus how much are you fighting against God? Uh, allowing you to change, allowing God to change you? Are you fighting against Him? That's the question. Um, why? What's causing you to hold back? Uh, more often than not, it's the world. It's the fear of the world. It's fear of what they might uh, think. It's fear of what might happen. Uh, and that's exactly what Jacob's situation was. He was afraid of Esau. He was absolutely afraid. He was filled with fear. And I think one of the number one reasons why we don't um, hit our full potential as Christians is because we're afraid. We're afraid of what other people might think. We're afraid of uh, you know, what the consequences might be. 
like Jacob, we want to control every situation and ensure our safety. And sometimes to grow the most, we have to, actually not sometimes, I would argue always, if you want to grow the greatest, you need to trust more. Um, it's like um, Peter uh, stepping out in the boat to Jesus and walking on the water, right? When he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water, which is so cool. But then as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened? He started to fall. And it's that same idea. So this, this question um, to discuss uh, internally, have a monologue about it, uh, talk to your spouse about it, talk about it in a small group, is how do you think God is trying to change you right now? And how are you doing in allowing him to change you? Are you wrestling with him or are you, allowing, are you submitting uh, to his hand and trusting in him? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you want us to be better. Thank you that you care about us, the creator of everything, the Lord God Almighty, that you care about us becoming better. I mean, that is amazing, and I say thank you for that. I thank you that you want to be a part of our lives and that you want to change us from the inside out. Lord, I pray for each person that's listening or watching this right now, that you will work in their heart and that they will soften up and let go and allow you to work. And that fear that they have of, well, what if, well, what will people say? Or whatever it might be, that they will surrender to you and simply trust you trust you as their savior, as their God, who does have their best interest in mind. Although we might, it might not look at it at the time, all discipline is painful in the moment, but it leads to so much greater. We pray that you would help us as we um, allow you to change us from the inside out. Thank you, Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Next week, we're going to be looking at Genesis 34. As you may or may not recall, Dinah is uh, the daughter that was born to Jacob in the midst of the 11 sons. And we see the love uh, that these 11 sons, in particular two of them, have for their daughter. Uh, you can read ahead, read the story in 34. Uh, it's, it's a captivating story. Um, of what these two brothers do in retribution for a horrible thing that is done to their sister. Um, and then we'll be hitting uh, chapter 35 in which we'll see, um, we will see Jacob uh, reaffirmed as Israel and the Abrahamic covenant solidified in him and reaffirmed in him. I love you guys. Have a phenomenal week and I'll see you next week.